and welcome to the Glacially Musical Podcast, where it's beer, metal, and swearing. I am joined by King of Cribbage, Chuckus, and we're going to talk about what today? We're going to talk about we're starting a brand Oh, hang on, hang on. I'm sorry. Uh, I am drinking a... I also will... I am drinking a Keishi Rocktober Burning Sky by Empyrean Brewery. No idea who they are. This is a Scottish-style ale. I'm feeling a lot better than last week, so I am beerifying it up. I have, once again, a Montucky Cold Snack, the official beer of Montana. And uh, cheers, motherfucker. Cheers. I am bad at this. That is not an attractive pour, luckily. No, it is, it's, it's, it's fuck awful. But we are talking about the greatest band that I've never really gotten into, apparently, which is King's X. And like I told you before we started, uh, this is not a band I am familiar with. I've heard a little couple little bits. I remember they did Manic Depression at Woodstock 94, and I thought that was neat because I love that. I was getting in the jimmy around that time. But uh, I did listen to the concept record Gretchen Goes to Nebraska today. Completely missed the... Completely missed the concept. I'm assuming it's about a lady named Gretchen going to Nebraska, which I don't recommend that. Now that I've ever been there, so I mean, I really don't know. I just assume it's a lot like Iowa. Maybe Nebraska rules, but I bet it doesn't. I have a feeling it doesn't. Um, uh, Nothing personal to any of our listeners in Nebraska. Maybe uh, someone will come and contradict us. I was listening uh, listening to the album today whilst I was cooking and working and worked I'm, I'm actually working from home right now mm-hmm. because of uh, a quarantine issue everybody's fine everybody's fine everybody's fine but we had to we had to, we had to quarantine a little bit everything's fine everything's fine and but my my office was very kind and i said hey can i work from home and the basically the response was get this fucker a laptop which turned into tell that fucker to take his home take his desktop home but my desktop is the size of, like, not even a loaf of bread, so it's fine. I do have a monitor almost as big as the television I play video games on, which my wife is now making fun of me every time she sees it because it's ginormous and it doesn't fit in this room. And normally I have two of them. She, she, she walked in this morning and she's getting ready to go. And she's like, is that monitor big enough for you? you, you can you see? Can you see that? I'm like, shut up. Wow. I need um, the other your one. Wife, your <laughs> wife sounds awesome. Uh, shout out to your wife. Um, she, you know, one of the things that, and, you know, I spent a lot of years talking about her all the time because she deserved every bit of the praise I can give her. And uh, I feel bad that she loves me because I'm not nearly uh, deserving of her, but I do my best. And uh, where was I going with this? I don't even remember. Uh, but today she told her best friend that I make rice balls for her. And that was a praise. So, I mean, that's good. Uh, is that is that Italian rice balls or yes yes okay. oh I remember what I was gonna say the thing about my the thing about me is if you are my friend if you are my partner I can be very domineering and like I and when I listen back to these episodes I interrupt you way more than I should because you know I'm drinking and we're talking and we're yelling and that and I if you are comfortable with that, I will go more and more and deeper and deeper into that. And what I told her very early on in our relationship was I need a woman who will stand up to me because I've never had that. Amazing. Holy shit. That is some next level dude shit right there. Women and men. She has beaten the crap out of me, which is awesome. 
Um, but anyway, nobody wants to hear about my relationship and how amazing well, it is. B- before we, you know, we did our beer, beer, metal, and swearing. Fuck it. Uh, we probably also should have vinyl in that tagline. But I wanted to ask if you, I know we're both on kind of a hiatus from buying, but things are still showing up that I bought already. Um, last weekend, I went to see Black Label Society Obituary and Prong at Ace of Spades, a place I always wanted to go to in Sacramento, California, not too far from where I live in San Francisco. That's why I have this Duck Dynasty fucking obituary hat on. I did notice the hat. It is. I would never. A camel shorts? Always. A camel hat? Not in many years. But this guy, <laughs> I found it after the show at the pizzeria down the block from the show we ate at after for beers and pizza. Wait, and is, that a, found, is that some it, rando dude's hat or was there like a It was a dude? brand new hat, not like somebody was drunk and left it in, a, in it with their merch. And I looked around and I was like, is it belong to everybody? Nobody crickets? Well, now it's mine. All right, from fair New enough. York. And if you find it and it's not nailed down, it's ours, Beavis. And um, again, this is just a fun hat. I would never normally wear this. I finally found a slice of pizza in California that is worth any fucking thing. And that is Uncle Vito's Pizza. There's two locations in Sacramento. Uh, Ace of Spades is great. BLS was great. Obituary was great. Prong was great. There was vinyl on sale. I restrained myself from not buying any, which was difficult. Uh, I did get one thing in the mail this week that is Blood Incantation's uh, debut album, which was re-released on vinyl nice. from their kind of sketchy record label. But like, I gave the money to the band, and hopefully not too much of it went to the label. This is a conflict with me. The label's probably okay, but I guess they put out some new bands. But Blood Incantation fucking rules if you love progressive death metal. You know, the same way people will, you know, jizz all over rivers of Nile, they should be jizzing as much over blood incantations. Blood incantation is is fucking amazing, fucking incredible. Amazing. And whatever record they make next could could be like an album of the year type of fucking thing because they have like next Gorguts, next Cannibal Corpse written all over them. Uh, like they could do this forever. They're so I, good. I first heard them when I was still doing re- when I was still doing reviews in the early days of my reviews and in the early days of my reviews, my system was to download every single promo and throw it into iTunes. And when something came up that caught my ear to listen to it and go back to it. So I, so it was a a number of years ago that I got into them. I mean, not like decades, but no, they're like around maybe less than 10 years, but they're, but I can, I can remember where I was when it came up on shuffle. I was driving down, Mackland at the in the at the at the the only one of the two places in the entire city of St. Louis where the trains cross over the the streets, which is the most wonderful thing the city planners of this town ever did. Everything else they fucked up, but this one they nailed it. So like all the train tracks are a big snaky bit through the city. So whenever I go to another city and I see trains on going across streets, I'm like. This is weird. You guys did it stupid. But I, I can remember listening to that going, wow, this is amazing. And then I wrote it up the next day. I don't remember what album it was because uh, on Glacially Musical, I wrote over the the seven years or eight years I was writing actively about a thousand articles. 
good clip right there for one person by yourself. Which is why I kind of just burned out after a while. That which is why. I yeah, I don't know how I find the stamina to continue to do shit, and uh, I have well, been. Ta- I've been. I'm so overwhelmed with my day my day job that I don't want to talk about on this podcast. I hear like, you. No, I know. And but it, like, also, I, lo- I miss writing, and I loved writing, and I wrote a Megadeth review finally. Oh, I should say I wrote it like a month ago, and then I had to like walk away from it because I was unhappy with it. And then I came back to it like three weeks later and posted it this week. And I was like, oh, it's actually pretty good now that I think about it. But like, unfortunately, the right this second, every one of my reviews is going to be like, back from the pandemic, my feelings and anxieties. This is just going to be me for a while, everybody. I got to the point where I just got really tired of, of, and this is my complaint about a lot of things, not just this, but nobody shared anything. I know bands don't. I did three premieres today, and one band did not share. I did three premieres, and my publicity client—that's just kind of a small client for a single in a video—had a release today. So it's like I'm busy at work like crazy. I'm running Ghost Cult. I did three premieres, which like a little extra work, which I like doing them. I waffle back and forth whether they have any value or not, but I feel like they do. Then I get in my publicist hat. I'm like, yeah, of course I want a partner to share this thing. I need a partner a bigger website to get the word out because bands don't have that amplifier other right. than, you know, the real ones. So like, well, um, none of them, they, it, people it don't just, share. They yeah. Don't so many share. people, I mean, so many people that I have done hour long interviews with on a podcast didn't share. Yeah. It sucks. And, and it, it just got to the point where it, it just, you know, when I'm spending most of my mental energy, when it comes to writing, <clears> thinking <throat> to myself, how do I get somebody to share this fucking thing? Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, I'm not doing this for the right reason. Yeah, and I understand. I, I've said that. As a, that's as just a, me. There's a good friend of mine who may or may never listen to this, and we commiserate and share and boost each other and help and collaborate like you and I do. And um, he also is like, it's an uphill battle, and even since we came back, it's even worse. None of the work that was done during the pandemic when a lot of people just were like, well, I guess there's nothing to cover. I'm not going to do anymore. And like, I work my ass off. I never worked harder, actually. We've done 80 episodes of this new show. My next one's going live at midnight between me and my partner, Omar, uh, my producing partner. And like 80 weeks in a row, we did a, a shot of video. He edited it. We collect, we created this thing. I'm not saying it's the greatest thing ever, but it's been, it's been a labor to do it. And it, I've, hel- I've tried to help, you know, on one hand, I want to get clicks. So I need to have Slipknot, Metallica, Tool, Trivium, Judas Priest, and on the other hand, I want to help underground bands, so I have to get those in there when I can. I, and that's and and that is where the 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 frustration always came in for me, because I don't, you know, when I was reviewing new music, I didn't want to do Iron Maiden, I didn't want to do Metallica, I didn't mm-hmm. want to do Slipknot, because everybody knows those bands. My idea right. was I'm going to help people learn about these new bands, and I I think personally I made a mistake when I changed the focus of Glacially Musical. Originally, it was just whatever came across my desk. You know, it might be Kumbia, it might be death metal, it might be nerdcore rap. It might there was a nerdcore adjacent rapper I did by the name of uh, MC Atheist, who I still listen to that album he sent me, and I still it's it's got my my favorite line in a rap song ever. We don't carry forty five. We don't carry forty fours and thirty eights. We carry forty fives and thirty threes in a crate. Right. And that, and anyway, but yeah, that's, I could go on about this for a while and I don't think anyone's hear that, but to, to discuss vinyl, I did break my fast 
and I purchased a single. Uh, and I don't buy many singles. I think I've purchased maybe 10 total. But um, I, I actually sent a Facebook message to a Facebook friend of mine who was in the band. And I said, hey, is there any chance that uh, that you guys are going to be putting out any of the Sway Chain records on 12-inch? He's like, nah, man, there's no plans. And the Sway Chain was, uh, I think, the Airborne Toxic event, if anybody knows them. I don't even know. But more melodic and more stringy than they are. Less alternative, more crooning. And that's the Sway Chain. And I still have a really, really strong love for all of the bands I was really, the local indie bands I was into back in the day. So, you know, I still listen to Travail, which was a local death metal band. The guitar player from that band started Motive, and they put out an album on vinyl a couple of years ago. I bought that. So I was happy to buy that for my buddy. And so I wanted the the only... So now I have all three of releases by The Suede Chain. Uh, their first album, the second piloted by Ghosts, and the single, which is uh, called Mississippian. It, uh, they are a really odd band, and I really loved them. But they broke up, of course, oh. as everybody does. And that's all I bought. And I, yeah, right now I am, you know, I'm, I, I'm, the, the pandemic really cleaned out my coffers. Because the, the, and I discussed this a little bit in my interview, my interview uh, episode last week, where it was, you know, my American optimism was, we're going to destroy the crap out of this. We're going to kill it. It's just going to be a month, maybe two, and we're going to be fine. We're going to have baseball. And I had no idea the fight people were going to have against the the preventative measures. So I was buying two or three records a week, sometimes four and five. I We were doing, you know, support the local restaurants. And so we were doing that constantly. And I'm like, well, you know, we're we're not poor. You know, we're, we're, we're nice middle class, solidly. I'm going to do Instacart and give giant tips. And I did that for months I, and months. I did that and for a long time also. And now, you know, we're, we're also still dealing with the renovation of our house. We are Moving dealing house, with a second a mortgage. House, and I mean, mortgage. so I'd say, yeah, I'm, I'm really kid, talking about kid things. A kid needs a lot of things. A kid is an investment. <laughs> and you love that kid. If you didn't love that kid, you just neglect them and treat them bad. But you love them. So you have to buy them stuff and treat them well. Correct. I actually was uh, flipping through my Amazon wish list and I just didn't see anything that i don't know i i've got like 15 bucks in amazon dollars so i could probably mm. convince myself it's okay to buy something but right. i still don't have the new carcass record which is unfortunate the new um, carcass is really excellent it's not it's quite as good old. as surgical steel it was so a surgical steel way. was it, so it, surgical steel is better actually, than some of the shit they did back in the day that's how good that record is well i mean some of the shit they did back in the day wasn't that great oh but, but sorry uh but where was I going? Oh yeah, Surgical Steel. I actually would put in the very rare category of reunion records that are amazing. Yeah, very. Rather rare. than our disappointments. Super good. And let's keep Carcass around as long as possible. And I'm going to say I just saw Obituary. Yeah. And while they debuted a new song recently, they didn't play it live. But to hear like Obituary right now, jam through the classics, made me have a hunger to hear new music from them. And of course, Obituary I, is a I'm band. A massive and I, prong fan, so. I've seen them a couple of times and I've watched a bunch of their live videos and 
They are a band that just brings it night after fucking night. They never have had a bad show. I've seen them like 20 times in my life. Never a bad show. Never. I live in St. Louis. I don't I don't live on the coast, so I yeah. uh, but I, I think I've decided I'm gonna change my Twitter, my Twitter bio my Twitter bio to uh Midwestern elitist. <laughs> Great. So anyway, let's uh, let's all right. Let's we're let's, we we did we, we did doing? yeah, we're doing King's X, and I'll tell you why. We did Maiden. We did Metallica, we did Black Sabbath, not in that order. We are doing this kind of thing where we're doing 90s, 80s, 70s, and then we're going to dial it back. I don't know if we're going to... We were originally talking about the 60s, but I don't even think there's a band that was significant enough during the entire decade to do that. Yeah, like if Eric Clapton wasn't such a dickhole, I would really want to do a run through Cream, but you really can't... I can't. Cream is a, a week and a half. Not yet. Well, yeah, it's two years. We would do one album a, a week, I think, actually. But uh, they did a lot in a short span of time and the live record. So don't want to support Eric anymore, even though it was one of the best shows of my young life. And uh, he's just a cunt. I'm sorry. I, you know. Anyway, we'll see. The jury's out on a '60s band. I don't know. Um, there may be. There may be some. Uh, we'll see. But King's X, and here's why. King's X is not made in Metallica or Black Sabbath. But I think King's X is a hugely important and underloved band. Um, early in their career, they were very prolific and kind of compelling and new sounding and different. Think about how much music came out in the 80s and early 90s that was monotonous and the same and derivative. And these guys had a fresh sound. They did heavy in a new, actually new way. And then they kind of, they morphed and changed over time. They're still around. They have a new record coming out next year. And you will hear me say this repeatedly. There's a book from a year and a half ago by Greg Prado, the great music journalist and writer from Long Island, who wrote the definitive history of King's X with stories from other people, stories from the band, literally every moment of the history of the band curated in the book. If you love this band, you need this book. A lot of the basis of what of the shit I'm going to talk in the next few weeks is from this book, but also my personal experience. So I like that Nick and I made in Metallica. I'm making jerk off physical motions. The Black Sabbath. We love these bands. We worship these bands. We can go forever on these bands, even on their bad shit. We could talk for hours. I am going to try to not mention Metallica or Maiden during the during the other, King's X system. Other than right now. Other than right um, now, in early. Other than right now, I in will also I will also aspire to do this. But I, will I say actually, hang on, hang on. There's one thing I want to say that actually I'm going to reference Metallica and Maiden. What I think is important about the series we're doing right now is that we are not doing a band like as big as Metallica. We are, we are not doing a band as big as Iron Maiden. We're not doing a band from London. We're not doing a band from California. And even though Black Sabbath was from Birmingham, England they still were basically humongous, uh, you know, kind of out of the gate. Right. It's, I just think it's important that we're going back. We're, we're looking. I, I like the 98, 90s, 80s, 70s system. Yeah. And I in like, fairness, in fairness, we were going to just do the 90s of this band. And then I kind of looked at it. They, their first album was 88. They have a whole history for 10 years before that as a different band. We're going to talk about it. But with it, the, the system so, is so we are we are going, going to do 89 to 99 in this case. We're going to go on the strongest decade of every band. It had worked out that Metallica was, you know, what I'm saying the best music was the 80s, but their strongest successful decade was the 90s. Correct. Black Sabbath was the 70s. Iron Maiden was the 80s. It's not arguable. And for King's X, it's 89 
to 99 and, and we'll get into we're, we're gonna call it the 90s and that's fine it's yeah, just it's fine I, I just think it's important that we we also look at bands slightly below the top tier of popularity we, have to. we need of to at a certain point just to make it interesting and also i think king's x is still a band that people are discovering today finding their value today seeing where other bands mimicked and copied them and being like oh that's where that came from i did not know and so now i hope with this series more people will share my love for king's x when it's over um i'm gonna give a brief history of the band uh, as we do as you do um as you have to do as you kind of have to do uh the brief history is very important because why the fuck are we doing i'm gonna set the table for for this first record we're gonna do one record today gretchen goes to nebraska it is not about a gretchen going to nebraska too much but we'll get into the things about king's x that are interesting and why king's x formed um in mississippi and then moved to houston and the long short of it is they started out in the christian music scene and that kind of tag and association followed them for a long time, which is fine because King's X music is very spiritual, it's very emotional, and it's very questioning and philosophical. And there are a lot of allusions to Christianity, religion, and C.S. Lewis was a humongous early influence on their first few albums. So it's like, not you know, uncommon, though, for, for bands that's, that go into the supernatural to be some of the most emotive bands some of the most powerful bands and super soulful and um doug pinnock who is one of the great legends the whole band is incredible but doug pinnock is one of the great legends of modern music he was raised in the church he came from a gospel music background in church like pastors in his family raised in that environment and he's always kind of had that like a lot of people as a singer a former singer and I came through music school and music school confidential and all that shit, private training, public school, famous high school for music and arts. So a lot of people learn to sing in the church, but a lot of people don't actually learn to sing. Sorry, I love gospel music. I always have. I desperately wanted to be in gospel chorus in high school, and I was not allowed to. The first rock and roller actually came out of came, came out of uh, the church. Sister Rosetta Tharp. Of course. Of course. Um, and and Little Richard on death. Um, of course. And so, you know, um, King's X forms in Mississippi uh, around a college town where the different members of the band played in different groups, some together, some not. They ended up backing very prominent Christian musicians as a live band, as well as studio musicians. And then they formed their own thing. And they were called Sneak Preview which they were kind of like a more top 40 rock, pop, and soul band. Um, not unlike the Gap Band or not like an Earth, Wind, and Fire without horns, like a little more soul and a little less rock and heavy, but great musicianship. It was, if you heard that stuff, it is very apparent to you these guys can all play their asses off, and there's a lot of talent here. But what becomes King's X, they, they become King's X. I think a lot of people were confused that their name was King's Cross for a long time because they were so religious themed and they had come from this world. And then they were marketed to the religious Christian music market, which used to be, it still is humongous, but it was very, very big in the 80s. Your Amy Grants and your, you know, you have like these, uh, your Petra, these tremendous, your Striper. Oh, DC things. Talk. DC Talk, uh, Jars of Clay. 
Uh, and now I just uh, read Jumpsuit Apparatus apparently went from being kind of like indie rock to Christian rock now. Uh, so, Pete Commando Sandoval of Morbid yes. Angel converted to Christianity yes. and left Morbid Angel. Uh, yes. And he still has a great, he's still, no, he's still a great death metal band. He's got Terrorizer and he's great. I'm not familiar. Oh yeah. He's still killing it in metal. He's just very religious. Uh, So is Tom Araya, apparently. I'm just teasing. And his crazy racist wife, even though his whole family is brown, Uh, except the wife. You know what? You can marry somebody of another color and still be racist. That's also true. It's fucking crazy. Um, But so King's X moves to Houston and they are under the tutelage of the um manager of zz top sam taylor who takes them under his wing is the next big thing it sounds weird texas sam taylor kind of svengali's their career and they end up signed to metal blade records i'm sorry megaforce excuse me not metal blade that's later megaforce records johnny zizula who lovingly talks about them in his book, which is incredible. Megaforce Records, the greatest bird-dogging record label of all time. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, uh, Megaforce, Sub Pop, and... Uh, oh, there's one more that I can't place. I mean, I mean, there's a few alternative tentacles. Um, a live natural sound is a good bird-dogger. For real. Uh, Johnny Zazula, born in the Bronx, New York. Real quick, bird-dogging meaning that they find someone and then sell them off to somebody bigger. Oh yeah, that happened. I mean, well, Megaforce, you know, in fairness to Megaforce, and we'll talk about it, what happened with Megaforce is they were a true DIY indie label. Completely. They didn't start out to be a label. They were a record store and a distro and they became a record label. And on the strength of Johnny and Marsha, rest in peace, Marsha, who died late last year. Um, They had some fancy band. They had a very fancy band called Metallica. Oh, we did it. You who did was it. taken from them more than they got rid of them. Let's be fair. Um, they were usurped away because they were not going to get any bigger on Megaforce. And that's the thing. Same, with DIY same difference. Sometimes you can't stay a DIY, a DIY label. Uh, so Megaforce signs King's X. They are a complete anomaly. They are not thrash metal, which at the time was most of what that label had. But they had dreams beyond the thrash metal. And the sound that becomes King's X goes away from classic rock and pop and soul and still has some of those elements and really leans heavy into this like heavy Beatles music. Like all three guys are masterful three-part harmony singers. Doug as a lead singer is incredibly soulful and has the whole history again of the like church and R&B and rock inside of him. And they're unusually heavy. So they put out some independent records and their first real major record is this record in 19, their 1988 album, Out of a Silent Planet, which is a C.S. Lewis reference for a story. And um, they are still doing some of that music today. It's a little softer, a little less refined than they became later. But it's a good record. I implore you to go back and check out tracks like Goldilocks and King, which are very philosophical songs about wonder and you know just so what not- we're talking about today is a, is their second record we are talking about their eventually second, their second record what we're eventually talking about is their second right record. because that's the record they crystallize the sound that, I, that's the record where they I, i'm just clarifying that more. because when i listen you know i listened to it today for the for the first time and the second time and i was amazed at how you know, how put together it was, how fully formed it was at that point. And they reminded me a lot of In Living Color 
but better. Living Color, excuse me. Is it? Yes, yeah, Living Color. Living Color. In Living yeah. Color is the TV show. Sorry. Living Color is the band. Wow. Oh, yes. I, wow. That's well, I, I mean, I would say, I would say like there's, there's some things. I mean, Corey, Doug coincidentally filled in for Corey on a tour a couple of years ago when Corey was ill. That and Doug out. flew over and sang. He could definitely fuck with Corey Glover as a singer. I think obviously there's sort of a progressive metal element in, in both Living bands. Color that has been there from the beginning. King's X became progressive later. I, I found I just found that this album reminded me of Living Color, sure. but Gratitude much, much, but much, much better. Okay, um, I much think they, more, much more focused. So, so out of a silent planet comes out. The band gets kind of acclaim, not a lot of sales. Megaforce is again. It's the late eighties. They don't have Metallica. I think they still had Anthrax briefly for another and year. Ace Frehley. They had Ace Frehley. They had some great bands. Um, but you know, there's only so far you can take a band. And then what happens is Megaforce makes a deal. They don't get subsumed, but they make a deal with Atlantic because this is what the majors were taking notice of the indies and mm-hmm. swooping them up and saying, listen, if we give you our major backing and our distro and you run your label your way, we all make money and you make more money than you ever seen. And we have a profit. We get extra profits for very little work. So Modern day seen... hipsters will recognize this same pattern in the craft brewery scene. Yeah, or anything, and by modern day hipsters, anything, I mean me. Anything they do. Um, cheers, motherfucker. And as I sip my craft beer, and um, as I sip my craft beer. So, the first album comes out, and there's still some great songs on it, but it's not quite the King's X sound we know now. And so, a year later, basically a year, they tour. Less than a year later. They write and record this new record, Gretchen Ghost in Nebraska, which is kind of an Alice in Wonderland story. It's not fully a concept album, but that idea, I'm not in Kansas anymore, Toto, kind of thing. Like, this, how is it to be a young person? And, and listen, by the time the band made it, they were almost 30 or 30-ish. But like, how do I, where do I fit in this world? The question we've all asked, the question I'm still asking at 49. Every, so, every, every fucking day. day existential... I was Not telling my right. wife yesterday, you know, I didn't, because my birthday is coming up, I'm going to hit 46, but, you know, good Lord willing, and, you know, I, I told her, I didn't think, and as, as I was wearing my Motive t-shirt yesterday, you know, I, I said, well, I didn't think I'd be 46 and still wearing death metal t-shirts, but I'm sticking with it. I didn't think I'd make it to 40 at all, so. I didn't think I'd, I'd make it to 30. 50. Yeah, I am at almost 50. Um, so Gretchen grows to Nebraska is June of 89. And immediately, as a person that was into this band from the jump, there's a marked change. There's a definitive, distinctive sound difference in this album. And everything about it is different. And what they did, they did this incredible thing where they where like this Beatles-esque harmony of thirds, fourths, and fifths becomes a trademark of the band in most of their songs. They're a little heavier now. They're a little more refined as writers and they have like distinct psychedelic rock parts with three and four part harmony uh fourths not not three part not just three part harmony but three part harmony in fourths which you would see a year later with alice and chains which they are credited as you know bringing back or making prominent in heavy music but it was really king's x first and a lot of people when alice and chains first came out thought they were ripping off king's x not quite because they didn't have three fully accomplished singers only two um, but Gretchen Goes to Nebraska is mar- like marvelous. And um, 
again, produced, a lot of these early records are produced by Sam Taylor and King's X. And it's a very similar story to Chicago where the Spengali guy is kind of injecting himself into the band and maybe it's good at first. And I don't think it works later, but they eventually part ways. But this record, you have to kind of start here. I wanted to start with the next one, but you really kind of have to start here. This is the crystallization of the King's X sound. I was just uh, shopping for this album vinyl. You're going to want it because it's... I do want it. It's It's also expensive. It ain't cheap. Um, I will go on to say that from the very beginning, King's X has had some of the most loyal, wonderful, amazing fans ever. People who travel all over the world to go see them from all over the place. Uh, They haven't toured as much as other bands. So really like a tour for them, that's a a big, big tour. They have a handful of dates coming up this month, actually, so we can help promote that. But... um, they, they haven't over toured, especially, again, there's two kind of careers of King's X, there's, or three. There's the early years and the beginning. There's the King's X sound and the heyday, you'll call it. Then they've been really wonderful and amazing later, but they're much, they're starting to space the albums out. They've had a lot of record deal issues, kind of like an, another Anthrax, similar to another band that started on Megaforce uh, and went to a major. So this is on Megaforce. And again, a few other things before we get into this, Um, you know, there's a lot of, they start to not just talk about spirituality, but mocking the mass appeal of spirituality, which, you know, is a natural. Uh, There's a lot of, you know, you remember your late 80s, there's televangelism scandals, there's mega churches for the first time ever. There's a lot of hypocrisy in religious politics. Well, that's when religiosity and things like, um, oh, God, I can never remember the name. Oh, um, the doctrine where if you're a good person, you become rich. I mean, divine right. No, <laughs> I'm the king because God made me the king. That 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 also. Yeah, the divine right started coming back in the eight in the eighties as well. Well, Reagan, but... I hate to say, you know, not, I'm not trying to make this. We we vowed to not make this a very political podcast, but I can't deny who I am and say politics that I, and I history are not the same thing. Reagan, and discussing what Reagan was happened, the worst not president political. in American history, and the rise of Reaganism really led to this prosperity. New prosperity doctrine oh sure yeah this idea that like you know god god made america the best country in the world comes from a reagan populism and i think it's really bad and toxic well and that populism was a response to the lack of character on nixon's part for for facts um before that they didn't talk about character and then nixon basically Although Nixon now has looked, moving on. So all good. Another time. Another time. Um, another time. So um, I don't know if you want to do a brief break and then the album track by track, or if you wanna just let's bang just go. Out. Let's just let's just go straight into it. Let's just bang it out. This first this first one's gonna be quick then. Um, not that quick. Not <laughs> that quick. So in a fun in kind of a fun thing which some bands have done as a device. Sometimes the next album calls back to the last one, either with a title or a theme or a song. So Gretchen Goes to Nebraska starts with the song Out of the Silent Planet, which was the title, similar title to the last record. Again, 
a lot of C.S. Lewis, a lot of homilies, a lot of philosophy, um, and immediately a completely, not a, com I want to say a completely different sound, but a really fully formed sound. Like here it is heavy, and then there's like a Beatles psychedelic bridge part where we all sing, and then Doug comes in with the grit and the grind of the soul. There's incredible guitar work, um, almost a jam band quality talent, but not jam band BS, if you'll they, me. They were heavy while being melodic, like being very heavy while being very melodic and very uh, dexterous with what they did, which in 1989, that really wasn't much of a thing. You know, we were in nineteen in in the in the early eighties when heavy metal was first coming out. You know, there wasn't a whole lot of amelodic singing. You know, whether or not you think the the vocal should be melodic or not, they were all melodic at that point in time. Rat was considered metal, and I still talk to people who say, "Oh, well, Kisses Lick It Up is the most metal thing they ever did," or "Animalize is so metal." which it's not anymore, but that's what it was at the time. And it then, was glam metal, and it was heavy for the time, and the singing was great on those records, actually. And, right. Uh, or Crew, My, which doesn't yes, have the singing, yes. but they aspired to be hard and catchy, and I respect that, and other it, bands couldn't do all it. I'm, all I'm not saying good or bad on this concept. All I'm saying is that the idea has shifted. And we are speaking to a 2021 audience, and we are speaking to people in 2021, mm. and we have to accept that the world has changed. Deep Purple is no longer metal. But that's besides the point. So, and as the late 80s started coming, there that's when the, the melodic, amelodic split started to happen. When in 1987, 1988, Kip Winger is metal. In 1980, I know. Look, I know, mm -hmm. I know. I, he was considered it's, metal. It's hard for me. Kip was I so know. good. He was such an integral part of Cooper's uh, success in the 80s and 90s. And I loathe Winger. And one of my dear friends, Alita, who writes for Ghost Cult, sometimes loves Winger. And lo and we just do just duel it out on Winger memes. And she I knew me, a dude. A dude I worked for. Memes. A dude I worked for at General Nutrition Center in the late 90s was a hardcore mega fan of winger to the point whenever he sang winger he air based and i'm like you do because you do because kip is great i, I can't and i was gonna say he's not talented he is talented i just don't like the band correct um, and of that, course beavis and butthead stewart was their foil there are people that are still ship. angry about that they because are. beavis and, and butthead because Beavis and Butt had robbed us of Winger. No. Any chance Winger had of being cool was evaporated during the first year. Of Before that happened, you had Metallica throwing darts at Kip Winger's Kip's face. Kip's face in the Nothing Else Matters video, which was totally fitting. Uh, yeah, so where was it? Oh, yeah. So at this time, the, the, <laughs> mate, the split has happened where you've got melodic or amelodic singing. We haven't gotten Fear Factory yet where they're slamming the two together. So, But also they did in a way that's like brutal and then catchy and tuneful. And so right. King's X is not a brutally heavy band, but they're heavy in a way where, first of all, their players, again, are immense. They have a tremendous low end. Every single guy is a great talent. 
Agreed. But they do have a heaviness, like a Black Sabbathy Alice in Chains Soundgarden heaviness, Melvin's heaviness, but the tunefulness that no one else really has. In they're, done they're, in a way, they're subtly heavy. Yeah, well, yes. And it's also like it's almost three types of frontmen because, like, the three of them as a group are a front person, a front trio. Uh, not unlike your Dixie Chicks, like literally Peter, Paul, and Mary, and then King's X. Like no, they're just they're just the chicks now. They're just the chicks. I'm sorry. Um, and One of then, my wife's karaoke tunes is by them, by the way. There you go. Not there that we do that anymore, but pandemic. Yeah, well, I know. I miss it. Miss it so much. I miss it too. Um, no one will. I chose it. a melodic songs like Beastie Boys. There you go. Um, so they have this thing. Doug by himself is a wonder as a vocalist. I will not hear me shut up about him as a talent. And then the secret weapon of the band almost is that Ty, the guitar player, Ty Tabor, also is a wonderful singer and occasionally sings lead. Just will pop up on a lead here in the lead vocal. And those are some of their biggest songs. Just unintentionally became hits. So Out of a Silent Planet is the first track. It's like almost six minutes long. I don't know if you can hear that when I'm muting it because I'm hearing a noise in my ears. I don't know if you can hear that. I don't Um, hear anything except like a, a little hiss. Oh, if I do it with the keyboard. Okay. Sorry, I didn't take my allergy pill today, so I okay, got allergies. Man. You got a cool kiss shirt on. That's all that matters. That's, it's a... Uh, I like it. It's, it's it's the solo pictures, which I don't like, but... No. It was it. I didn't have a kiss shirt at that time, and it was uh, 10 bucks at Kohl's. There you go. Um, I got two houses, and I still shop at the discount stores. What? That's how else do you have two houses, dude? Um, <laughs> I'm very frugal. Despite how much I spend on shit. Um, <laughs> I am very frugal for everything that I don't love. Right. But it's like um, I actually get made fun of a lot by one of my coworkers for buying vinyl. And I'm like, he's like, why do you got to spend so much money to make it sound as good as CDs? And I'm like, you don't get it, Pat. No. Um, Over My Head is the second track on the record. And it's straight ahead. It's very heavy. It's fun. They still do it today. And it has a wonderful refrain, music, music, I hear music. And it just like, if you love, uh, like to hear them do it live, you get caught up in the moment. And actually a King's X show. That is a great song. I'm just going to say that. A King's X show at this point starts to become like a religious experience, no pun intended, because their fans are singing back the words, which I had not really heard even in some arena shows where I have been to some King's X. My first King's X show was a little later, but like the people were singing back at them so much that it drowned them out in the club. And so they started in to a write... club that's really rare. In a club. And it's still to this day, I saw them a year and a half ago and it was the same thing. And there's whole songs where the band just can't even sing because the crowd is drowning them out and they let the fans sing because the fans are just, they have that incredible symbiosis. So Over My Head is great. Summerland is great. Summerland is third, and it's kind of a psychedelic ballad, in, and it has an amazing, the chorus, if, if you got a heart at all inside, beating inside of your body, it, you, you can't not get emotional hearing this song. It's beautiful. Uh, they're talking about the South. They're talking about, you know, sort of life down there. And, uh, you know, the record is very varied. They don't have two songs that sound alike ever, 
they really are master writers and this is only their second record even though they had been a, a sort of a musical unit all, you know in some form two guys and two guys and one and then three they had been a band already for like four or five years and they had played with each other for almost 10 off and on but this band is now starting to congeal and gel a style the whole time as i'm listening to this I was thinking to myself, wow, I completely understand why Keithy loves this so much. Because it is so... And I, I describe music in, in ways that most people don't understand because it makes no sense. And it, it just... it descri- I would describe it as floaty. It has a, an ethereal quality where it's just... It's risen above everything. Very uh, dreamlike. There, there's not many dreamy. bands that I would describe that way. Actually, it, oddly enough, one of the ones that I would is the Suede Chain. I also think that there's a strange thread of like, it's not on purpose and it's definitely not um, pronounced, but there's like, if you remember the late, the alternative nation era rose up at this time, 80, you know, like REM, Pixies, you know like i'm hearing that too i'm hearing kind of an yeah, alt rock to like smarts it's not one it's 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 like a modern day pink floyd pre-grunge pink it, floyd post yeah, it, yeah in a way where they are everything and nothing simultaneously but it works and it's not right. it's not disjointed which is unusual because most of the time your bands that can try to aspire to do that end up janky correct it every song was different every song was a different style but it always felt like it was the same band it felt like it belonged together and that is the that is the prog rock paradox nine prog rock bands out of ten cannot do that yeah my band my first band tried to do this and failed horribly uh the only band i was ever in tried to do this and we just fucked it up yeah, I'm just not that talented, it turns out. But uh, okay, I knew I um, always knew I wasn't, but I would like. To I thought I was. I was. I thought I was always an overachiever. But uh, I had so, four guys tell me I was good at playing guitar. All right, those four guys were you. stupid. They liked you. They don't. They didn't know me. I don't oh, think. Okay. Well, maybe they were desperate to get somebody who could play. Maybe they let you play your way into it. No, this was after um, sh- after shows. Yeah. Oh, okay. Wow. Four guys um, in multiple shows. I mean, not four guys at each show. Exactly. Um, so the record moves on. And again, I had this first on CD. So I don't, I had cassettes, but I don't remember where the break was. But I'm going to say, I'm going to go with the whole track listing on some of these on this run because I don't really have a sense for what was side A and B. And my recollection is fuzzy, but I did have a tape of this uh, initially in my Denon 10 tape zippy rectangle that held my tape. Everybody knows a little something's another fun one. Uh, the difference in the Garden of St. Anne's on the Hill, another really deep, emotional, wonderful song. I'll Never Be the Same had an extra writer in it. Um, they occasionally worked with some other guys who would sort of come in and contribute or people had been in the band. They were at one point a four piece and they dropped down to a three before these records. Um, Fall on Mission is great. Fall on Me is great. Pleiades is considered the pinnacle song of this album and the early indicator of the real worth of the band and it is the lead vocal by Ty Tabor 
And Ty Tabor also, like, in addition to Doug being a wonder on the bass and vocals, Ty had a unique sound. He had, like, a very cool guitar setup I'm not going to spend time talking about. He had, like, a, basically a preamp built into his guitar that gave him active pickups, like, about 10 years before active pickups were a thing. And, uh, like, a really mass thing. They were only, like, a special thing at this time. And he had a custom sort of built into his axe. And then he ended up... Yeah, if you think on. about MTV, MTV, MTV videos at this point in time, you nobody's using EMGs. Yeah, two of the two two videos from this album were on MTV and were played. Um, so Pleiades is a song I urge people to go to. It is definitely in the top three of this album. They still play it to this day. It is a song that, like, so this guy is such a good singer that this is a song people don't sing along to because he doesn't sing that much lot lead and they want to hear him. Uh, I think Doug might have even been mad for a long time, according to the book account of this, that, like, I didn't get to sing on that one and it's one of our best songs. Why? But like that's you know the journey, um, and then the rest of the record is pretty strong. Don't believe it. Send a message. The burning down. Pleiades. Over my head. Summerland. Never out of the set list from this band. Never out of the set list in thirty years, thirty plus years. Which is pretty incredible. Uh, and again, they coalesce the sound here. Uh, it was nicely recorded. Uh, still a Megaforce record. They did do a tour. And at one point where they played this whole record front to back, there was a, a DVD that was put out from a, like a bootleg VHS at one point called Gretchen Goes to London. Um, again, two of these were videos. Summerland and Over My Head are really fun and interesting. We see the band not doing the cliche shit of every other band from 1989 where you see their bodies and you see their, you know, their preening. There's none of that shit. These guys are very serious, thoughtful, deep artists and i think it was in short supply in 89 in the fucking height of the 80s look at my dick and tits yeah i i was musing to myself this at the time they're releasing this and touring this that make their their record label is getting ready to release ace Frehley's trouble walking right i mean picture you know you've got two these two bands on your label one of them you drop one of them you lose. Mm. Sorry. Everything goes back to Kiss in some way for it me. It usually does, man. It usually does. So, yeah, man, it is It is a short... It was based on a short story written by Jerry. We didn't... I didn't talk much about Jerry Gaskell. He's an incredible drummer. He's very hard-hitting. I talk a lot about this. Drummers are not hard-hitting anymore because they're faster and more precise. And well, everything's, everything's triggered now anyway. Yeah, well, but, like, this guy was... A, a fantastic drummer. He actually started out in like big band and 60s rock. He's very powerful. And then he also has an angelic voice and he, uh, to sing and play drums almost at a high, that high a level to me is mind blowing. I can't well, even at that imagine time, the idea drums. of a drummer singing. It's like what? Roger Taylor, Levon Helm, Don Henry. Wait, Levon Helm is a drummer? Yes. I had no idea. Yeah. Uh, I'm not a big that, fan of the band, to be honest. But but that was also not the 80s. No, yeah, I know. We're I'm talking about, about history, li- historically. Well, Don Henry kind of got out of the drum kit once the Eagles broke up. Right. And uh, I didn't know Phil Don Collins. Henley played the drums until they got back together. Oh, Phil Collins? Yeah, but when Phil Collins was in the music videos, he was behind the drums. Yeah, in the air tonight he was. Uh, I'm not counting that one because I didn't do, know. Do, 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 do. 
Like anyway, there was one video I remember where it started off with uh, some with a, a rendition of um, Peter Gabriel quitting, and the, and then and then they're like, "Who's gonna sing now?" And Phil's like, "I could do it." Right. I think it's I think it's like you can't hurry love from his solo record. And, and then so then it shows this big thing where he's singing and he's a big star, but it was all a dream. Yes. He's very theatrical. I will say that Genesis is on their final tour ever. Phil is in really bad shape and disrepair from a bunch of health problems. And I, a lot of bad shape. It's His son is playing like drums. Three, four hundred dollars a ticket to go see Genesis do a career spanning set for like two hours. And I kind of want to go. You know, um, I am I not the biggest the, Genesis I fan. Them, I saw them on the We Can't Dance tour. Oh, my. Was, but they did play a lot of Invisible Touch stuff, and then I, uh, I saw not, Phil Solo, which which was amazing. Maybe I, I'm not Genesis the biggest actually. Genesis fan. I have Trick of the Tail. I have, and then there were three. Mm. Uh, I've got another one that I've just kind of found in my travels on the on the cheap. Um, I do I love, love Land of Confusion, but I mean, it's impossible to not love that song. Yeah, so that whole record is flawless. Maybe I haven't heard the whole record. I've only heard that song because oh, I mean okay, that was we'll early, early to mid eighties. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, man, this record is a definite buy. It's a definite must own for any serious rock fan. Uh, this really set them on their path that they would fulfill in the next few albums, at the pinnacle, at the heat, at the the height, at the you know the top of the zenith for them, and um, you know they they got a lot of critical acclaim. They didn't get a lot of record sales, which is what leads to kind of the Atlantic Megaforce deal, Atlantic kind of just kind of takes them away from Megaforce at some point. Like Megaforce and Atlantic sever their deal and King's X stays with Atlantic for a while. Good luck, fuckers. For, for a minute. Well, you know. Uh, no, I mean Megaforce. Good luck. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, they might have Megaforce did not last much longer well, after this time. They're still around today. They just haven't been around this whole time, and that's the thing. That's uh, not a, No, that's not a real thing. That's... No, it is a real thing. They are a real label. Uh, they're back. Okay. Um, just not like they were. I'm not um, going to argue these semantics. You know I what I mean. You. I get you. I get you. Um, Let me say. Go- oh, go ahead. I, I, I want to just sum up this record a little bit for me. Sure, um, I really didn't want to do this. <laughs> I, I have a, a memory of King's X from like 1992 or 1993 thinking I don't like that what I heard was not excited and I listened to it today and I'm like holy hell this is not what I remember this is not you know it's just it, it's amazing how your biases are formed so strongly at a certain age that you just can't get past them and I am after hearing that I saw why you like them which makes me like them more as we are both two people who are just really jerking our gherkins to, to everything Pink Floyd has ever done. And most things the members did without the rest of the dudes, except for uh, profiles by Nick Fenn, my, my, my uh, Mason Fenn. I feel um, like there's a band for everybody you never gave a chance to. That's probably pretty good. Agreed. That you, that you will find later in life. You can be more accepting now. I think a big part of it was when I heard King's X at that time. And, you know, this is something that I still struggle with today. It, it, 
if you're 25 or 30 or maybe even 40, I don't think you realize the grunge metal blow up that happened at that time. And anybody who was tagged as grunge or tagged as metal had to be enemies. And King's X was never tagged as metal at that time. So none of my friends got into them. And it's kind of like Alice in Chains. Alice in Chains is metal. Well, I think they started out as like a very heavy, evil, hard rock and heavy metal. And then they morphed into like what is modern rock and metal. And like, it's pretty interesting if you really, if you really whittle it down with a few exceptions, I'm going to break, I'm I'm not going to break the curse, but I will say that like Alice in Chains, Soundgarden and Corrosion of Conformity put a thumbprint on bigger bands than them, not going to name names, and really shaped the decades to come. King's X was before all that, and they had some of those elements already, and they really didn't get their due. And Alice in Chains became a darling band right away, and, you know, I could go on to my conspiracy shit and talk about Doug Pennick is Black. He talked about uh, you know, a lot of politics and religion, which are no-nos to a lot of people. They rub people the wrong way. He came out much later on in his life as gay, which he ended up, he was already rejecting a lot of the Christian market they were looped into, and then they rejected him and stopped carrying their records. For many years, the first few King's X records were sold in Christian music shops, and he sold a lot of records that way, and at revivals and shit. And people dug it because it resonated with them. These songs are very soulful and spiritual in a lot of ways. And he's questioning a lot of this stuff in a way that's palpable and, and, and digestible. That's, that is the kind of spirituality that hits the hardest. Not, you know, when, when I hear somebody singing, oh, this is my belief. I've always believed that I've never questioned it. I know it's true. No. I don't believe anyone who can say they've never questioned their beliefs. You know, whenever I get into <laughs> whenever I get into a discussion about anything, whether regardless of what side I'm on, if you think I'm wrong, show me. If I'm wrong, I want to know. Mm. And I'm not one of the people that's going to hang on to this thing that I've oh, I've just always been that way, you know. When I left the church, it's because I stopped believing it. If you can show me something, to bring me back, show it to me. But I'm at, you know, I don't know if I said this before because we divert all the time. And I'm really excited to dig into this to see where this band has gone mm-hmm. because I didn't know. And it's like I said, I wasn't excited, didn't want to do it. Happy to, you know, make my happy to, uh, you know, follow your lead from time to time. And as, as you're happy to follow mine. So I'm, you know, that's what you want to do. I'm, I'm down. I wasn't excited. Now, I, after hearing this record, I am excited to, to continue on this journey. All right. Thank you so much. Uh, the next week, we'll go back to our typical format of two records. Oh, good. And we really get into the meat of uh, the early era of this band. Um, and uh, yeah, man, uh, I'm excited. Continue to be excited to be on this journey with you. And I, I think I have decided who we're doing next, but I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna yes, drop that. Yes, we, we might have established that already, and I am also kind of excited. 
Okay. Uh, I have nothing else to say now that I've had a whole lot to say that was germane to the conversation. Anyway, so do you have anything that we need to hear? I don't, sir. All righty. Thank you for listening to the Glacier Musical Podcast. It doesn't play in Peoria.